Well, good morning and welcome to Yountville Community Church. Uh, my name is Dan Bidwell, Senior Pastor here. It is a blessing to have you with us today. Uh, and we pray that this little time that we've put aside uh, will be a blessing to you as we hear God's Word, as we read it, as we pray over it, as we meditate on it, as we chew it up together. We pray this will help you draw near to God and uh, help you continue in your journey of faith with Him. Uh, this week, um, we're going to be preaching in just a minute from Genesis 6, and Joanna will bring us the Bible reading. Uh, before that, a couple of items of uh, news. Uh, we always love to know who's been watching. I uh, would love to know uh, that you've connected with us, or you might be new, you might have been with us for a long time. Why don't you click on that little tab up the top of the page uh, that says Connect Card, or if you're on YouTube, there's a link below. Why don't you connect to our Connect Card, and let us know what God is doing in your life. We love to receive those emails and we love to pray for you. And uh, of course, you can always call us in the office as well. And you'll find the, uh, the phone number on our website, yontvillechurch.org. Um, we uh, have a prayer meeting this week. Uh, we always have our prayer meeting on the first Tuesday of the month. Uh, we decided this week to postpone until uh, this coming Tuesday, the 10th. Uh, uh, so 7.30 p.m. you can join us in person or online and we've got a link there for you to register, particularly if you're going to come in person uh, to a COVID safe prayer meeting. But we're going to pray together. We're going to lift this church up uh, before God. We're going to ask for him to be sovereign in our lives and sovereign across the Napa Valley and beyond uh, so that we might see Jesus made known and made famous here and elsewhere. Uh, we're so thankful to those of you who've uh, partnered with us financially in that same mission of sharing Jesus uh, to the Napa Valley and beyond. And so we thank you for your generosity. And uh, of course, you can see a Give tab up there on our website as well if you'd like to partner with us in the mission. But for now, it's time to sit back and prepare your hearts. Uh, this is a challenging reading from Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. So sit back, let's take a moment to prepare our hearts and then we'll hear God's word. Good morning, my name's Joanna. Please join with me as I read Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 to 8. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth 
the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Well, what comes to mind when you think of Noah's Ark? Uh, for me, the first thing I think of is all the kids' storybooks we had about Noah's Ark when our children were little. Um, I think we had a toy ark as well, um, always with two of each animal. And of course, all the, the animals were always smiling. Uh, I think of the rain coming down for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the rainbow that is God's promise never to flood the earth again. Is that all there is to the story? Uh, can I close up my Bible and say, well, we all know everything there is to know about Noah and the flood. So let's just uh, get on with our Sundays. Well, Noah's Ark is probably one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. Uh, but as always with the Bible, God has different things to teach us every time we sit under his word. And there's lots we can learn uh, from the flood narrative. Um, even just looking at the size of it, it's, it's a long story compared to everything else that came earlier in Genesis. The Noah story takes up four chapters and we've spent seven weeks going through the first four chapters of Genesis. Uh, so let's not discount the flood story as just a, a quick kid's story. I'm hoping it'll teach us today as it reminds us of the genuine corruption of sin and the boundless grace of God. So why don't we pray that God will draw us into the story of the flood this morning as we open his word. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you with open hearts and minds ready to hear you speak to us through the Bible. I long to be recreated and remade in your image so that we can please you with our lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been focused on Genesis 1 to 11 over the past two months or so. Chapters that teach us about the foundations of the earth and the foundations of what we understand about God and the foundations for understanding ourselves as humans. And as we open the flood story in just a moment, it's important to remember the backstory of what has happened in Genesis so far because it sets the scene for understanding the flood correctly. After all of the goodness of creation, chapter 3 turned our attention to a foundational problem with humans, and that is the problem of sin. So think back to the creation narratives. God makes men and women in his image and he blesses them and he tells them to be fruitful and multiply and, and rule over all of creation. God declares humanity very good. But then in chapter 3, the goodness of creation is undermined as Adam and Eve question God's word to them. And they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they become like God in some way. Uh, now they know the pain of difficult relationships and disappointment and, and frustration and death. What was so very good in the beginning becomes bad. And that badness is both repeated and multiplied in Adam and Eve's offspring. Uh, their son Cain murders his brother Abel. And then within a few generations we meet Lamech who is like his great-great-grandfather Cain only he's exponentially worse. Genesis 4.23 Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a young man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, well then Lamech, 77 times. Lamech is excessively violent. 
He repays a wound with murder. He boasts of his killing to his wives. He, he brags that he will avenge himself 77 times if someone else comes after him. And unlike Adam and Eve who enjoyed a, a one flesh relationship with one another, Lamech is the husband of two wives. He's a man who takes whatever he wants. And that brings us to chapter 6, which begins with another story of taking what was not permitted. Um, we're going to spend a little bit of um, time on Genesis 6, 1 to 4. Um, it's an interesting story. It's not the main topic for today, but I think if we didn't speak on it, you would come to me with questions. So let me read it for you again. 6 verse 1. When humans began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them that they chose. I remember talking about these verses in one of my very first weeks of Bible study back when I was in the 10th grade. I'd just started going to church. I knew nothing about the Bible or God. And some boys in my group asked the youth pastor what these verses meant. Um, I think they were probably trying to catch him out. Or maybe they just relished in the strangeness of these verses. Because these verses seem to be talking about angels getting married to human women. And then there are all kinds of issues raised there. Who are the Nephilim? In verse 4, are they giants? As our Bible notes sometimes say, are they beings who were half angel and half human? Um, is that what it means that they were the heroes of old? As young boys, we're excited by the closeness of these verses to the idea of superheroes or, or Greek mythology. We were entranced by the possibility. And that's what we're like as humans. We often fixate on the wrong details. Uh, this is not the story of the origins of superheroes. It's actually the sad story of creation rebelling against the way that God made things. With angels stepping out of their God-ordained roles as his servants, uh, to step into the world of flesh and mortality. They step out of the spirit realm and they step into the world of flesh and mortality. This is the story of angels who saw something beautiful, as something they wanted, women, and they took it. Just like Adam and Eve wanted something and so they took it. And in verse 2, there's the implication of polygamy, just like with Lamech. The sons of God married any of the women that they chose. As spiritual beings, they made a name for themselves among humans. Uh, verse 4, as the heroes of old, men of renown. Perhaps these angels no longer wanted to be servants of God, but they wanted humans to worship them in the way that only God deserves to be worshipped. And I think we still see angel worship these days with people putting their hope in angels to look after them rather than looking to the God who sustains the universe. Do you see how angel worship undermines our confidence in God. Now it feels strange talking about the idea of angels marrying humans as if it couldn't possibly be real. Some commentators have suggested that this was the godly sons of Seth's line. So in chapter 5 we get Seth's line of children and they're the godly line. Is it his sons intermarrying with women from the ungodly line of Cain? Well the apostle Peter seems to link Noah and the flood with the fallen angels or with fallen angels in 1 Peter 3 and 2 Peter 2. And so our minds boggle imagining what is so far outside the realm of our experience. But then again, we are people who believe in the virgin birth and the resurrection of Jesus into eternal life and our own resurrection. And so is Genesis 6, 1 to 4 really that hard to imagine? 
So that's the strangeness done with, because I don't think that strangeness is the catalyst for the flood narrative. We find the real cause for the flood in Genesis 6, verse 5 to 6. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. Human wickedness. Uh, we've been talking for weeks now in church about sin and disobedience and rebellion. And uh, in our Bible study, we've tried to weigh up the difference between big sins and little sins in, you know, whether lying is really a big deal. And last week, we looked at Cain who murdered his brother. And I pointed out Jesus' teaching about the relationship between anger and murder. And yet, I imagine none of you have actually committed a murder. You see, we all like to put ourselves on this continuum of good behavior. Uh, we put Cain and Lamech down one end and we put Jesus at the other end and we find ourselves somewhere in the middle. Or we compare ourselves to people like Hitler and, and Stalin and Pol Pot and, well, we know we're doing much better than them, so we might be okay. But Genesis 6, it's a kick in the guts for everyone who thinks that they're doing well in the godliness game. Because when God looked out over creation, he, he didn't sort out people on a continuum. He, he didn't weigh humanity on the scales of justice and find that some people were doing quite well and some others were found wanting. God didn't look out on humanity and see a bunch of people who were just trying their best to make it in the world and to get educated and, and find happiness and build a family. That's not what God saw. God looked out on his good creation and he saw wickedness. Not just the occasional wicked person amongst a sea of generally nice people. He didn't see good people doing wicked things from time to time. He looked out over his creation. He saw that it had been ruined. It had been spoiled, made corrupt to its very core. The Lord saw that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Just let that sink in again. Every inclination only evil all the time. Is that how you think of yourself? God is telling us something profound about the nature of Adam's and Eve's sin that has been transferred from them into all of humanity. Their sin has infected all of us. This is not a part of us, or there's not a part of us that remains uninfected by sin. Sin is the original pandemic with a 100% mortality rate. Because sin, as children of Adam and Eve, it's, it's who we are. R.C. Sproul said, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. That is, we're not born good and we remain that way until the moment we first sin. Instead, the Bible teaches us that we are born in the state of sinful rebellion to God, born under sin's curse, born into spiritual death. King David puts it like this in Psalm 51, verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We don't like to think about babies being sinful. But again, this is not about doing sinful things. It's, it's about being born with a heart attitude that is profoundly and radically corrupted by sin. That's what original sin means. It's sometimes been called the doctrine of total depravity. Whatever we call it, the idea is the same. 
Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes humanity in Romans 3.10. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Sin has left humanity radically corrupted, radically oriented away from God and radically oriented towards our own interests. Genesis 6.11 puts it in a similar way. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become. For all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Brothers and sisters, I, I want to tell you that you are deep down, that deep down you are good people. Uh, and nothing would be easier for me. I'd love to just smile a broad smile and tell you, you know, just try hard and, and do good things. And it'll be all right with God because you're a good person at your core. I'd, I'd love to tell you those things. But if I did, that would make me a false teacher. Uh, that would ignore exactly what is clearly on show here in Genesis 6. I'm not trying to be depressing. God wants us to understand deeply to our very core the effects that sin has had on our person. See, if we believe anything less than the radical wickedness of humans, we are fooling ourselves and we're creating our own alternative truth about the way things ought to be rather than acknowledging the way that God sees them. The Lord saw that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Well, frankly, this is a deeply troubling passage uh, because we all want to think well of ourselves and we all know non-Christians who do noble things and we're all uncomfortable with the idea that we're sinful to the core. And God is uncomfortable with it too. In fact, he is deeply disturbed by what he sees. Genesis 6, 6, the Lord regretted that he'd made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. What does it take to trouble God's heart? Back in my 10th grade Bible study, the guys asked all the usual questions of our youth ministry. You know, can God make a rock so heavy that he can't lift it? If Satan walked into the room right now, what would you do? And of course, this one, you know, who would win a fight between Jesus and Superman? Those are the important questions when you're 16 years old. But what about the question that's staring us in the face in Genesis 6? Is it possible for God to have regrets? How bad must things have been for God to regret creating humanity? What are the things that leave God's heart deeply disturbed? Well, here in Genesis 6, we see that God can and did have regrets. I don't think God has regrets every other day or, or with every decision that he's ever made. But God tells us here that our sin really makes it hard on him. As he balances his love for us on the one hand and his righteous anger at our sinfulness on the other. I worked with someone whose adult child had spent many years addicted to illegal drugs. And she agonized over how to help him. Do they give him money? Should they pay for rehab again? Should they take him back into their home? Should they give him up to the police when they knew that he was dealing? This woman and her husband agonized over what to do. 
and how to help and how to deal with the problem, all the while loving their son deeply, but unable to go on, uh, to watch him go on destroying himself. And I think that's how God sees us, you know, like a loving parent agonizing over what to do. And we see such a similar picture in the book of Hosea in chapter 11 as God deliberates whether he'll bring judgment on the, on the Israelites in that pre-exilic period. He, he describes Israel like a child that he raised from a baby and, and fed and bent down to kiss and, and he taught them to walk and he put bandages on their boo-boos. And, and now in their sin and in their turning away from him, in their adult life, in that settled decision to walk away from God, God has to work out, what will I do with these people? And he says this, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over Israel? My heart is changed within me. It's it's churned up. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger. Come back to Genesis 6 where God has a similar dilemma. How does the loving creator deal with his beloved creatures when they're destroying themselves and each other? How does the righteous God bring justice to a world of violence? How will he reestablish the good order of creation and reestablish human flourishing and blessing and goodness? Because surely those are all things that we want, right? To achieve those things, God has to judge wickedness. He has to banish wickedness. He has to remove wickedness. He has to deal with wickedness so that, it, so that no one is hurt by it any longer. Justice is a good thing when we see guilty people receive the wages of their sin. The harder thing is to accept that we also ought to fall under the same judgment of God. But that's the reality of what God faced as he looked down over humanity. It wasn't just a portion of humanity that deserved his judgment. It was everyone. Verse 7. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them the the animals, the birds and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. The story of the flood is far from a moralistic kid's Bible story. We've just focused on the first few verses of the story today because I don't want to skip right ahead to the rainbow. We need to hear what God is saying to us. It'll also give you a chance this week to spend some time in chapters 6 to 9, reading over them and praying over them. You could download our Bible study notes and work through those as well. I found them really helpful in preparing the sermon today. And then next week we'll come back and we'll finish the story. Because Noah's Ark is a story of hope. It is a story of mercy. It is a story of God's grace. But it'll only ever be a kid's story to us unless we do the work of understanding the depth of our own depravity and the way that it deeply disturbs God. We can't understand the story unless we understand that first about our hearts. So will you pray with me this week that God will do his work, do his heart work in us this week? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray this week as we consider this idea of being radically corrupted by sin, uh, totally depraved, Uh, on a life pattern that walks away from you and that, that all of humanity is on the same path. Father, we pray that you'd help us to understand that. And we pray that you would uh, help us to long to return to you. 
Now, some of us have done that for many years. In our repentance, we've followed your path. But so many people continue in that path of what we see in Genesis 6, are radically corrupted by sin and radically walking away from you. Father, we pray in your mercy that you would bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus, that you bring us to a saving knowledge of Jesus, that you would forgive us of our sins and deal with that darkness in us and bring us through the flood, through death to the other side, to where we'll know life with you and with Jesus around the throne forever. We pray all of this in your holy name, in your mighty name, in your righteous name, in your saving name. Amen. Please join with me in prayer. Colossians 1 states that Christ Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Father, with the election in mind, remind us again and again that Jesus is king and that he is on his eternal throne and in control. We pray for help as your people to be settled, to be firm in our faith, kind in our convictions, gracious in our words, and generous in our actions. We pray, Father, for your sovereign will to be done. We bring before you our monthly prayer meeting that will happen next Tuesday. Gather your people together with conviction that prayer independently and together is the basic foundation on which your church grows. Help us come together in repentance and faith, bringing our requests before you, knowing you act according to your will. Give us maturity of faith, a desire to pray for the lost to know Jesus, and for your church to preach and share the good news of salvation in Jesus with others. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we do pray that church has been a blessing for you this morning as we've gathered together under God's word and, and in the name of his son. We pray that you've been strengthened even as we've been challenged to think about the depth of sinfulness, our own sinfulness and our own corruption. Uh, so we pray that you'll go this week and, and read through chapter six to nine. I uh, get into the flood story. We'll come back and we'll preach the rest of that next week. But for now, uh, we hope to see you at the prayer meeting. Uh, goodbye and God bless.